Blog Talk Radio. Joining us tonight on NASCA Radio Show, Stop Child Abuse Now. We welcome you on tonight. We are on scan number 3078. Again, the scan number is 3078. If you'd like to call in and be a part of our panel, you can call 646-595-2118. Again, that number is 646 646- Five nine five two one one eight, and uh, we have a wonderful guest tonight. His name is Mr. Arthur Crowell. Uh, he will be our guest tonight. I'm Dr. Nancy B. Brown Willis. I'm your host, and I'm with my wonderful co-host, Miss Kim LaKim. And um, for now, I'm going to read the mission statement, and then she will introduce us to our wonderful guest tonight. We have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals, one being educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on stand number 3078, and if you'd like to be a part of our panel, you can join us on tonight's show at six four six five nine five two one one eight. All right, Miss Kim. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Nancy. Um, good evening, everyone. Our special guest this evening is Dr. Arthur. Um, Crow- I don't know if it's Crowell or Crowell. I should have asked you that before, Arthur. <laughs> All right. Um, Arthur Crowell. <laughs> Crowell. Okay. Perfect. Um, so she, he is from Minnesota, and he is a returning NASCA family member. We're so honored to have you back. Art grew up in a matriarchal family system as the only male child. That doesn't sound like fun for you. 
Over the course of three generations, his family system had been plagued and riddled with abuse from almost every form. Growing up as an outsider in his own family system, Art felt like he was always looking in, and he wondered about the stories that lurked unknown in the shadows that caused those around him to act so dysfunctionally with each other. In adulthood, he knows, um, he became acutely aware of the long-reaching generational damage and dysfunctional effects of abuse. In his 30s, he began his own family. His wife and three daughters had come from a narcissistic, personality-disordered, abusive situation. So um, tragically, they were not able to, to heal the rift with their traumatized middle daughter, but I'm going to just stop right there. There's a little bit more of this, but I just want, you know, Arthur to have enough to to tell us about because we are here to listen to your story. So um, I, I don't know if you remember. Welcome back. We um, just kind of asked you to start and go, like, chronologically and um, start from, like, your earliest memories or wherever you want to start and then um, just work your way up. And this is your show. So we're very honored to have you this evening, and we're excited to hear more about your story and just support you more. So the the floor is yours, Arthur. Go ahead. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you you teed me up very nicely there, actually. Because um, uh, when I was on the, the show last time a couple of years ago, I had quite a bit of time on the the growing up history, which really I tried to sum up pretty nice, and you did a very good job of reading through that, of just really was uh, growing up in a family system where, you know, I was not necessarily the direct target of abuse like a lot of people uh, who've come on the show have shared, but there was a lot of abuse around me, and I saw those effects, uh, what it did to people, and uh, so later in life, when I stepped into the uh, the family that I now have and inherited three beautiful daughters and uh, my wife uh, coming from the abusive relationship, I, I felt that I was very uniquely qualified to step in and uh, be able to help uh, with uh, healing and being able to move forward. And, uh, you know, I... I do feel as though we were and have been and continue to move forward with that. Um, but, um, yes, our, our middle daughter uh, was very much a, uh, a challenge throughout uh, the, uh, the last 10 years has been uh, quite a ride, and it really showcased a lot of failings within our mental health system uh, that really caused my wife and I to uh, – step out and try and make a lot of changes uh, that could uh, improve upon the mental health system and bring legislation that could potentially help out with uh, making family splits a little bit safer for those abusive situations. Uh, as our, our court system and our mental health system has always been very, very lacking in its ability to truly render aid. And so you know, we'd put a lot of efforts into that and we were launching that two years ago uh, when I was on the show and we, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about those 
those mental health failings and the uh, the failings of courts and children caught in the middle of you know bad divorce and abusive divorce situations. But uh, you know we we've all experienced COVID, which came along and really changed up our world and the traction that we were getting with our state senators and legislators. You know, the whole world pretty much shut down, and there's been a lot of uh, just other focuses in the world. And I've really come to realize there's really not a lot of room in our uh, our culture right now for kids' rights. It's really not a priority on the table uh, out there with our legislators and our politicians. Uh, there's a lot of other issues running around that are equally important, uh, but uh, I've always been of the personal opinion uh, kids' rights have taken a back seat to a lot of other issues, and our kids are the most important thing. And uh, having uh, essentially become very estranged and suffered a very ambiguous loss with uh, our middle daughter uh, really, really showcased all of that. And uh, over the last uh, year, uh, coming out the other side of COVID, I've gone back to storytelling and really looking at a lot of the ancient mythological tales, uh, reconnecting with uh, the Robert Bly men's movement uh, in its present-day forms. And uh, I myself have begun to find a real large amount of healing uh, embedded within those stories and uh, finding a lot of uh, healing and tools to be able to share with others through the, the men's work that I've been doing. And very specifically, the, the hero's journey is a formula for healing and it's also a hole in our society, I really feel. You know, there's a lot of people that have suffered horrific abuse, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and I don't want what I'm going to say next to feel at all minimizing that, but uh, the mission statement says it best that you know, this is an epidemic worldwide that does affect everyone. And one of the things that I've come recently to really hold very dear to my heart is that we've all been born to a life's purpose. And when we're here on this earth and we come and we're, we're little kids running around learning what the world is all about, we're filled with dreams. And there's beautiful imagery that comes out of the, the story of Iron John that uh, Robert Bly wrote uh, a wonderful book on that pretty much started his men's movement. And it's this imagery of a golden ball. And that golden ball is all of our hopes and dreams and wishes for ourselves. And somewhere around or before the age of eight, all of us end up losing that golden ball and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to get it back. That was one of the premises that Robert Bly put out in that book. And that's really struck me and stayed with me 
because the very first time we step out as a child and we go to the nearest adult figure that might be our parents, it might be a teacher, an aunt or uncle or someone else in the community, a coach that we look up to, and we start expressing these dreams that we were born into this world with that have come with us and we're, we're sharing our golden ball and that adult turns to that child and says, oh, you can't do that. That, that kind of thing only happens in the movies or, or that's too hard that, 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 you know, you can't do that. That in and of itself I feel is a very, very detrimental form of mental abuse. And the result of that, that's when our golden balls are stolen from us. We, we live in a society where we're pushed by social media to this image of perfection. And it's as if we're all trying to live this same collective dream of being perfect with the, the perfect house and the perfect kids and the perfect car and the perfect job. And there's a lot of misinformation that floats around out there. One of those pieces of misinformation, another favorite storyteller and author of mine, Dr. Martin Shaw, uh, lives over in England. He put forth a statement that I absolutely love. One of the great counter-directives is that we can do or be anything. Well, that's, that's rubbish. Not not in your soul's eye, not in your mind's eye. You weren't born to just do anything. You were born to this life for a specific purpose or purposes, and you came with a very specific set of gifts to accomplish that. And it's through the hero's journey path we find that. And all of the great stories of mythology since the beginning of civilization that have been passed down through the storyteller's tradition that carries with it the formula of the hero's journey that in our modern-day society, it's been relegated to a formula for Hollywood entertainment. And it's brought us to that place where society has perpetuated this learned helplessness onto us of you can't accomplish your dreams because your dreams only happen in the movies. And it limits all of us. And I feel as though that is one of the great contributors to this epidemic of abuse because when we wander through life lost, we wander through life not knowing what our purpose is, unable to chase our purpose. And if we try, the world around us condemns us for it, tells us we can't. Of course, we're going to end up depressed. We're going to end up feeling as though we failed. We're going to look at the illusion of social media and think that everybody else is succeeding when we're not. And so there's no wonder that there's a rise in suicide and a rise in abuse because none of us know what we're supposed to be doing and we're all mistreating each other in various different forms some far worse than others. And 
So that's where, over the last three years, my journey of having been estranged from my daughter has really led me, is to really dive back into that healing energy of the story and really analyzing the hero's journey. And I've been developing uh, a lot of healing programs around that. And so that's what my focus has been as of late. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know you said that, you know, in the last show you focused a a lot around childhood. And I do want to go back to this childhood. We're not going to stay stuck there, but we do have, we have a little over an hour. So I want to make sure that we kind of, for new listeners, people that are just coming in listening, who don't really get a clear picture, this is my first time personally hearing your story. And so um, if you don't mind me asking you a couple of questions regarding to your childhood, are you okay with that? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I know you mentioned that you were an only male child in your family. How many siblings were you? Yeah, so my, uh, yeah, my, I had one sister, uh, but my father had passed away at an early age of three, and my mother was a triplet with one younger sister and three older sisters, and when my father passed away, uh, she moved us um, into uh, my grandmother's house, her mother's house, and so I was uh, very much raised in a culture of uh, all-female influence uh, from three years old uh, all the way on up. Mm. Wow. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. So this, um, so he died since you haven't, you, you don't remember your dad being in your life pretty much. Very little. Um, I do have a few kind of flash memories of mm-hmm. uh, when uh, we lived. We lived on a 250-acre property in Northern California uh, in a little homestead there, and there was huge vegetable gardens. And uh, I have some memories at a laundromat and uh, him taking me cliff climbing on his back in a backpack. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a couple of other little uh, flash memories. He had a friend that would come over and always bring peanuts, and I, I remember him as the peanut guy. And, uh, you know, just tiny little tidbit morsels like that, uh, but uh, nothing very significant beyond that. No, oh, beautiful. And, um, and so you said, um, you know, you lived with mostly women in the house. Were they very strict when you were growing up? The women, I know they're very strong women because they have to survive. So were they strict? How was that growing up with those, with your aunts and with your grandmother and with your sister? Yeah, there is uh, going back multiple generations, stretching back. My my grandmother had suffered some various forms of abuse growing up. She'd been in and out of some orphanage uh, foster care situations. Um, 
her father had disappeared from the scene at a very early age. And uh, so she was definitely a, a very, very hard woman made of iron, uh, I always said. Um, we had a good relationship. I mean, she would, you know, take us places on the weekend. But and there was an overall air of favoritism to my younger sister who was six months old when my father passed away. So there's pretty much about a three-year age difference between us. And so because I was the male, I was fine. She mm-hmm. needed the most attention. And so the the aunts and my grandmother definitely favored and, you know, mm-hmm. bond everything onto my younger sister, uh, whereas uh, I largely fended for myself for the most part. My my mother was very good at trying to insulate me from a lot of that and to kind of make up for a lot of that. But, you know, it's, we're all living in a large group, all very close. The aunt, Some of the aunts lived in the house when in my early years before they moved out. And so it was a very close, tight-knit group that was together a lot. And so, you know, there's only so much one person can do to mitigate the actions of multiple others. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how was your mom in that group? You said she would try to make up some, somewhat. So did she favor you a little bit more um, and cover you a little bit more, or was she just as hard? How was the relationship with your mom? Uh, no, she uh, definitely spent uh, a, a lot of time, um, you know, she was definitely very much there for me, and she was uh, able to, uh, you know, where she could, she would, you know, set some extra things aside for me or do some extra things for me. Um, but she was, uh, her position within the family was very much that uh you know, her archetypal character was the crusader of going out and rooting out the abuse that was going on in the family, calling out the abuse that was going on in the family, really trying to fight it, uh, trying to bring healing to the family. And so that was very much a role model for me as I uh, grew up of really my relationship with my mother really did lend itself to the focus where I really saw the the damage that the abuse in the family history really perpetuated on everyone within the family group. And so by the time I came into my 20s and was, we're called adults in our 20s, but <laughs> we're still kids and still young. Now, as I was old enough to really start getting the stories and start really piecing things together and understanding of everyone, you start to see this person was abused in this particular way. Now you see how their actions played out through the rest of their life and things just start to make sense. You know, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make sense growing up, but I always knew there was a reason behind it all. I always knew that there, you know, I've always been partial to the story and 
very much I had escapism in fantasy stories and fantasy books and so I really viewed the family system as a whole as kind of possessed of and plagued by a demon. And so everybody's individual identities was very much preserved in my mind's eye of, you know, people I loved and people I very much cared for, but there was this great darkness that brought ugliness and everybody was a victim of it. Um, Is very much my viewpoint growing up. So did you hear ever hear of any spiritual stories or were your was your family into any type of spiritual connections or um did they have a religious belief? Did they go to church? Like what was your take in the area of spirituality for you to be open yeah. to even to think about that those things exist? Yeah, um my my mother was definitely very much uh connected to spirituality in the spiritual world Mm -hmm. in um, kind of a larger, greater sense. And so Mm -hmm. I did have that connection to that, very much connected to nature and gardening. We had uh, a large, large garden growing up. Um, To this day, I'm a farming geek. Um, I could fill hours talking about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I Mm -hmm. have a very strong connection to nature. Uh, Yeah. A very strong connection to nature. Um, You know, my mother would take my sister and I for walks almost every day when she could. We spent a lot of time in the local nature parks of the the suburbs of Bloomington. And so Mm -hmm. I've always had that connection. And nature itself, when you have a strong connection with nature, there's a very spiritual healing energy. And uh, on the hero's journey, in a lot of the mythological stories, the role of mentor that guides you on your hero's journey, there's a lot of stories where that comes directly out of nature in the form of animals uh, or uh, being lost in the forest and finding your way through as though the forest itself has led and transformed you to your goal. And so nature is very much a a spiritual entity. Um, Mm -hmm. I myself um, had some friends in high school um that uh started to talk started talking to me about Jesus and uh mm-hmm. in my uh early 20s uh I was uh baptized and um mm-hmm. I very much have a very strong faith in uh Christ uh mm-hmm. and um stay very strong with that and so um but as a whole the family system was pretty much an atheist family system uh, mm-hmm. with my mother uh, really being the only one that really reached for spirituality. Uh, a couple of the mm-hmm. aunts dabbled with it, drifted towards mm-hmm. it, but never really fully embraced it uh, as wholly as mm-hmm. my mother did. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's good. I mean, it's good that you have that awareness to, okay, this is of God, uh, this is not of God, and you're able to to see the difference. And there is a lot of healing in nature. You get in touch, um, and you just feel a sense of peace. And then, you know, you're smelling the earth, you're hearing the natural sounds, and it's very therapeutic. So, um, it's a lot of us 
who recovered from trauma have spent enjoy spending time outdoors and connecting with nature. And because again, there's so much uh, healing through nature. Um, when you talk about animals and all of that, you know, there's pet therapy and all of that. Because there's spirituality that they're very um, innocent spirits, and so there's a lot of healing in that area. Um, I know you said that there were three generations of abuse. So, do you know if your mom was abused? If if um, was it just from your mother's side, your father's side, your grandparents' side? Did you, do you understand like where, what type of abuse occurred? Where's this abuse coming from? I know you said you personally didn't experience abuse, so that's a good thing that you were protected from that type of abuse. But you did see what it, what abuse does to families, the trauma that it leaves behind. Yeah, it really, um, my great-grandmother on uh, my grandmother's side um, very much, um, when she was still nursing, uh, she was the youngest of a clan of 11, and the next youngest uh, was drowned in a um, a slurry pit, and so the the mother, uh, who would have still been nursing my great grandmother, um, she would have taken up all of that physical trauma of the grief of the loss of one of her children, and uh, she never really recovered from that. And uh, my great grandmother. Uh, would go on uh, to marry a cash register salesman who traveled a lot. And when my grandmother was eight years old, he disappeared off the scene. And my great-grandmother had to take a job in Northfield as a head nurse. Uh, she was depression era, so she was very lucky to have the job, but it was a live-in position that had no room for children. And she had her kids with her and so uh her her kids ended up being in uh, local foster care so there'd be families that would make space for the kids and they wouldn't uh, be in the same household and they wouldn't stay in the same household uh for long periods of time so they were they were bounced around a lot and uh i know that uh my grandmother um, experienced a very rough, rough time in some of those homes, and so there was def. The end result of it was there was absolutely, virtually no emotional development. Uh, my grandmother was very much uh, until much, much later in life, um, really was dis- disconnected from emotion. And so watching her uh, from a young age um, essentially taking on the role of a second parent, um, all of my emotional upbringing definitely came from my mother uh, due to that. Um, and uh, the uh, my mother and uh, her sisters uh, their father passed away at age 14 and so 
they had to fend for themselves a lot. And I know that, uh, you know, some of the aunts uh, did come across um, some bad sexual abuse situations. And so I've seen the, the effects of that and just how it's really made interpersonal relationships very difficult from that going mm-hmm. forward. And really, when families become dysfunctional like that, and there's that breakup in the inability to get the emotional support, we end up really floundering in life. And as a society, we don't really have skills and tools to come alongside of each other. Um, people who end up floundering in life for whatever that reason is, you know, nowadays it's, if you're not perfect, you know, what did you do? It's your fault. You, you can't have this perfect life that everybody's supposed to have. And that's really sad to me um, in my, in my storytelling and in really looking back at the older cultures when storytelling was a very strong oral tradition in our society and when religion and the Bible was um, told in the oral tradition. And when we go back that far into our cultures, Uh, A lot of cultures and societies had rites of initiation where the elders of the community came around the youth and prepared them for what was in store when you stepped out into adulthood. And they would tell these ancient mythological tales that prepped us for what it meant to walk your hero's journey, what it meant to seek your life's purpose. And so you had a community of culture holding up our youth and guiding them on how to go after your dreams, how to keep a hold of your golden ball. And now we live in a society that has no skills for that. We have virtually nothing that resembles rites of initiation. There's some things in some cultures that have some remnants, but as a society as a whole, it's not recognized with the same kind of importance that I feel it used to be. And Mm -hmm. that leaves all of our youth very much neglected. I mean, it's abuse in the form of neglect. We as a society do not come around our adolescence at a most critical, crucial time and all of our youth is left abandoned at that juncture. And then we, a lot of society sits around in judgment of what do those parents do to screw up their kid? Well, it used to be a village. You know, there's an old saying for a reason. It takes a village to raise children because we literally used to be raised in villages and communities. And we we don't have that anymore. And the long-ranging effects of that abuse from a societal level, we've had that going on for hundreds of years now. 
uh, we've lost touch pre-industrial revolution. We really fell further when industrialization came along and fathers left the home and sons and daughters didn't have the role models at home anymore. We've really, as a, a society and a culture, drifted really far away from some very important aspects of the storytelling and the community that really used to help cultures thrive. And I believe that that's a real source of where a lot of the the really bad abuse that people have suffered in our modern world stems from that core hole that in, currently exists in our society. You know, I wrote into my uh, my bio, you know, I've come to believe that until we can really as a society start to come and circle back up around supporting each other in our life's purposes and in our hero's journey and stop chasing this collective dream of perfection. But until we can do that, kids' rights and the true ability to come alongside those who were abused and to prevent abuse, it's going to be an uphill battle all the way. Uh, it's not that it can't be done, but if as a society we remain cold and callous and trampling all over the individual's life purpose that they came to be, depression is only going to keep getting worse. Suicide rates are only going to grow. And when I look back over the family system and what I've seen over the last generations, at the core of all of it, it's when a person was depressed, when they weren't able to follow their life's purpose, that's when the, the, the emotional buildup of that, the being a miserable person because you're living a miserable life, because you're not doing what you were meant to do, that spills out sideways. And that's where a lot of the perpetration of abuse starts to come from. And then we're all very aware of the cycle that starts. One person abuses somebody. If they can't break that cycle, they abuse the next person, and it spreads like a cancer. And that is that really, when I talk about the long-ranging generational effects of abuse, we're, we're living in a society that is a product of it. And it's really due to having drifted away from the healing energies that can be found in the old mythological stories and the stories of the Bible and the stories of other religions for the cultures that believe in those religions. I mean, the, the healing energies that are in these stories that communities used to circle around the youth and kids, so long as 
we're missing that, we're all being collectively abused by our society and our culture every day. Miss mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Kim, I know yeah. he said a lot about um, some earlier years and all of that. It, it, a lot of what he's saying, well, most of these things, I, I agree with and I can relate with. And the fact that, you know, he's sharing now and he's walking in his own ministry of wanting to help others and wanting to share coaching. And, you know, because people want to know, how do you know? How do you understand? So I think he did a great job sharing with us some of his history in that department. What's your thought about his story? Powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Nancy. Yeah. Very um, For sure. Arthur, thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, first of all, I I can relate as well, like a lot of us can in NASCA, um, with that kind of generational abuse. And, and, and it may not even come in the form of abuse. It could even come in the form of ignoring, you know, neglect or ignoring the situation. And um, in my case, that's, that's pretty much how it was. My mom just ignored the fact that I told her my, my stepdad has sexually abused me and told me that. And then she just said, well, you know, it happened. So she continued to make that choice that my grandmother had made and my probably my great-grandmother, I don't know about her, but um, I do know that my mom and my grandmother were were sexually abused. And um, and so when, you know, when I said something happened, she was like, oh, that just happens. Well, no. <laughs> Somebody in the family has to step up and say, no, it's not just going to happen. We're going to take steps and make sure that, you know, we can keep our kids safe. And, um, yeah, it just takes that one person. So, you know, bravo for you for, for stepping out and doing that because I know that's not always – it's not always easy. I still have, um, you know, some kind of kind of backlash uh, because I chose to start speaking out about six years ago. And, um, but up until my 50s, I hadn't, I hadn't spoken out at all. And so I had just made sure, <laughs> probably like a lot of us as well, that that um, I was everywhere that my kids could be if I could be. <laughs> I was a little bit of a helicopter. But um, I also relate a lot because, you know, you said that you um, took on and adopted three little girls when you got married. How old were those little girls when you got married? Uh, the youngest was uh, two Eight and twelve, so oh, okay. uh, it was uh, yeah, it, it was beautiful. Uh, I've essentially been there uh, for the entire life of my youngest, um, yeah. and uh, the uh, the eldest is doing really great. She's gifted us with a uh, grandchild now, uh, who is uh, three years old and is the greatest yeah. little blessing. Oh, yeah, they are the best. I 
I know. I tell everyone, hang on. Mm-hmm. Once the grandkids come, you can. <laughs> it's the best part of the whole parenthood thing. If we could have just skipped to that, that would have been really nice. <laughs> so we just had our sixth grandbaby. And so it, I know how exciting that can be. But, yeah, you made a decision and I made a decision. I know Dr. Nancy as well made the decision that we were not going to let mm-hmm. that generational abuse continue in our family and um, if we didn't get the help that you know we need from the people that should have been taking care of us then as adults we need to take that action and make sure um, I facilitate and teach a, a child sexual abuse prevention class that's for adults and so I started that about six years ago and um, and my hope was that I could get out into my community and create, you know, these pockets of people that are really going to be aware and tuned in and, um, you know, there to protect children and protect my grandchildren that are now out there in um, school. I have two that are going to start middle school next next year. I don't know how that happened. But, um, yeah, so this Darkness to Light is, is uh, the organization that I facilitate through. And um, it really is. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Have you heard of them, Arthur? I have not. I'm very intrigued. Okay. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because this is your time to talk. But what I will do is I would love to send you some more information about it. But it is. It's a two-hour class um, that teaches adults how to, to recognize, respond, and react, which is a huge aspect of, you know, if somebody comes to you and, and share something with you, the way that the adult reacts is huge in how that child is going to respond and be able to heal. And, um, you know, that's proven. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's easier. Not that people know that it's, you know, they they know that it's the wrong thing to do to carry on that abuse. But um, I know... For me, even though I wasn't addressing it as my kids were growing up, I do believe that there was this kind of secondary effect because I went through periods of depression as my kids were growing up. And, um, you know, and that's hard to deal with as a child, too, when your your parent isn't able to necessarily give you everything that you want. I mean, I was still there as much as I could be, but... I had my depression times, depression times like we all do, and um, and I chose with my kids, unfortunately, to be more of a protector, and I didn't educate. And so that's what I love about what I do now is mm-hmm. I'm educating on how to educate your your children and how to you know teach them body safety, how to talk to them about situations, and and then just kind of think ahead. A little bit and one of the things that I've been able to do with my grandchildren is I have body safety books on their bookshelf that's at my house and so from the time that my granddaughter who's 10 now and she'll be in middle school next year she um, from the time she was little she knew that she could bring those books to me and we could talk it and it starts that conversation you know because a lot of times people don't know how to start a conversation with their kids even you know, they want to talk about it, but they, you know, it just feels not right. And um, so that 
helps to kind of take away that initial just starting to get the conversation going because children need to know from a young age just like they learn how to cross the street you know that's a a very scary thing and and can be detrimental so we make sure as, as adults that we teach children from a very young age how to cross the street and so we need to be able to teach children as well and get it out there that um, they have rights and they have bodies, you know, that their body is theirs. And um, we need to know that because the other thing that, um, you know, is taught in the classes is that a lot of times kids don't know that they're even being abused because when you're growing up in that generational abuse, of course, that's all you know. And so, you know, you don't know anything different. And I, I loved it when you were talking to Dr. Nancy about your faith because I think that was an important part in my healing as well was my somebody else from the outside because I wasn't getting what I needed within my family system. It took somebody else from the outside saying, okay, we're going to pick you up for Sunday school every week. And it gave me that foundation from the time I was about six. And, um, and I do believe that that is huge in my recovery and being able to heal still within a family of, that's dysfunctional. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, yeah. there is There's a lot of dysfunction still going on. And um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm glad you said that education is key. And I think that the more we get educated, uh, the better we become as we're advocating, as we're coaching, as we're sharing. Everything, you know, we can pick up tools from every area in our own recovery. So as we're recovering and we're helping ourselves and others, we're really helping ourselves. So um, what, what's, what's your thought about that, Mr. Arthur? Um, have you been educating yourself? And also, have you, um, did you ever sit the kids down and sit them about abuse? Or, how, uh, or if you didn't do it, what did you learn to do moving forward for other parents? That was good. Yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's mm-hmm. great, great stuff. Um, yeah, teaching and education and awareness is very, very huge. I love the analogy of, uh, you know, it's just like teaching a child to cross the street. There are There's fundamental things in life that society it's it's difficult to talk about uh teaching these skills of how we deal with abuse communicate abuse talk about it how we deal with trauma i mean now all of us as parents we're all going to carry whatever we got in childhood with us when we go out to raise our own kids and it's it's not a fair expectation that society puts on us that we as a parent can give our child everything. You can't. That's why the older cultures knew this, and that's why the elders who were in the later stages of life that had the large wealth of experience would circle around the youth for that education. We can't do it alone. We were never meant to do it alone. And, you know, 
I piggyback on the soapbox of the, you know, some of the things mm-hmm. that need to be educated, just like crossing the street, are the mm-hmm. skills of how you walk your hero's journey. What does that even mean? Uh, there are the hero's journey is a roadmap to be able to follow our life's best. And without that roadmap, it's just as dangerous as not looking both ways before you cross the street. It can have the same detrimental, long-reaching effects of permanent injury to the soul and the spirit as a physical injury to getting hit by a car. And so education is fundamentally just huge and a core 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 elements are missing from our society as far as what really needs to be educated and one of the things that um from my own education um i got second hand uh, is stepping into healing the kids and working on healing from my own travels and working with my wife we put all of ourselves through extensive therapies. All of the kids had a counselor. My wife and I had counselors. We had counselors mm-hmm. together. We were very, very intentional about seeking professionals, gaining skills, learning how to deal with the after effects of the abuse. Now, a, a, a narcissistic personality disorder with borderline tendencies, that kind of influence on your children, that is not something that's easy to undo that influence. That is a daily job, and there are a lot of skills you need for that. And Mm -hmm. I I have spent, during the, the four years from when my middle daughter was, 14 up until she turned 18 and we became estranged in those four years she was in and out of 21 different hospitals and residential treatment facilities she spent more time out of the house than in the house and (laughs) therapy appointments between her what we were already doing for the other two kids what my wife and I needed to keep our head above water that was close to 30 hours of therapy a week sometimes it was a full-time job in and of itself if i wasn't self-employed and able to earn a living in a 20-hour week work week i don't know how we would have been able to financially make it through what was needed to circle around those three kids and to keep our own selves sane in the process so the the sheer amounts of just therapeutic processes that have been learned is immense. And then I've uh, always, from a very, very young age, been Im- immersing myself in mythology and story. Uh, it, Working in the realm of mythology and story and storytelling and acting and performing and writing and being with nature, all of these things are huge aspects of my hero's journey. And within the last couple of years, I have been 
very, very intentionally working on developing my hero's journey coaching process through intentionally walking my own hero's journey and really working through the processes and developing skill sets that I can share with others as to how to do that. And there's a lot of grief that came with losing our middle daughter. We, we poured our lives into her for four years and at the end of that, we know she's alive, but beyond that, we don't know anything really that's going on with her other than secondhand. And Sorry. Sorry. We, Sorry. We, we may have saved her life, but it was at the expense of our relationship with her. And... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of healing to be done around that. There's a lot of grief to still be worked on with that. But the one thing that I can share and the reason why I'm really working now on bringing the the Hero's Journey life coaching to people and to step out and really start working with people on that is because in walking my own Hero's Journey and truly connecting with the life's purpose that I was I was born to do there's an empowerment in that the ability to reclaim your power reclaim your inner self that you lost or was stolen from you that the healing calming power of that mm-hmm. For people who have been abused and who are truly working with traumas and trying to step back out into life and and live life and reclaim life, the ability to grab and latch on to not just I'm walking through hollow steps just to get out there and punch a clock and go to a job and do what everybody tells me I'm supposed to do. But if you're truly grabbing on to that inner core self, if you're able to reclaim that golden ball that was taken from you at a young age, you get your power back in such a fundamental way Our human language does not have the words to describe the internal feeling you get from that. And it's like a waterfall of white light that's just pure healing energy that just washes over you. And there's a quote from Joseph Campbell, who was a professor of mythology, and he's what I would call the the grandfather of the men's movement who Robert Bly studied and from Joseph Campbell's work, we got Robert Bly. And Joseph Campbell, my favorite quote that he put out there, we need not walk the hero's journey alone. For all of the heroes who have ever gone before walk with us. 
The labyrinth is already known. We need only follow the thread of the hero's path. And where we thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. Where we thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we thought to go outward, we shall find the center of ourselves. And where we thought to go alone, we shall be with all the world. And I love that quote because that embodies that power I feel when I'm truly walking on my hero's journey. And that's what I'm, that's, that power and that feeling is what I want to share and give to other people when I come alongside of them and I help them hear the call, help them step out and follow the call to their hero's journey, and all of the steps along the way, the stories of mythology are a roadmap that show us how to walk our hero's journey. And so sharing that with others, it's the most important thing that I can do at this juncture. And that in turn brings greater healing to myself because I'm walking my purpose. I agree. Definitely. When you're helping others and you're giving back to those who you can, you know, you you can relate to, you understand their pain, you understand their um their process, you can better serve those people. Personally, when I give back and when I help others, it fills me up. It makes me feel, it makes, it lets me know that I'm walking in my purpose. You said that perfect piece. Right. Where did you come in from? What did you Hello? say? <laughs> what did you say, Dr. Nathan? Uh-huh. Where, is that what you're where does the name come from? Mr. Austin. Oh, yeah. Is that your organization? Oh, yes. Yeah, I was having a hard time hearing you guys. What was the question? I'm sorry. Where uh, Where did the name come from? Where Where did the name stem from? How did you come up with the name? Uh, the, the Hero's Journey? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Hero's Journey... Joseph Campbell uh, really kind of quantified it and put it out there when he he studied all the mythologies of all of the religions, of all of the culture of the world. And the one thing that he found within all of the stories was the motif of the hero. And in any given story the main character of a story who is our hero and we are all our own heroes of our own story start out and you're living in normal in quotes normal life and you're you're living in life as a young child you would be holding your golden ball your hopes your dreams you're connected to your purpose as you grow into adolescence, 
you're called to step out and to start taking those first steps on your journey, the first steps towards your purpose. Human nature is to resist that call because it's scary and it's transformative. And transformation is uncomfortable, which is why it's scary. But when you walk that, you walk through that part of the transformation, you come out the other side equipped for the rest of the story. And so at the beginnings of these stories, there's usually a period where the character's lost in the woods or spends usually seven years of service uh, to a king or to another character where they're wrestling with things, they're being transformed, they're being given skills. They find a mentor along their path that further teaches them and prepares them for what lies ahead. And then there's the climactic part of the story where whatever it is they may have been journeying out there to find or get, sometimes the simple uh, mythological story of Prometheus going up and stealing fire from the gods. Uh, he's gone through this whole period of transformation and gaining the skills and the pieces he needs to be able to enter the realm of the gods, to be able to sneak in, to grab the fire and bring it back to humankind. And that ending part of that journey is now we've gone from setting out on a personal journey we now enter a transpersonal realm where that which we have found and gathered on the journey, that, that mythic piece that we've latched onto, that we've captured, that relic that you went to grab, that fire, you're bringing fire back, you're sharing that with humanity. And so you're bringing something back from your journey. And it's now a transpersonal experience because you're giving back to the community. And this was the roadmap. This is the roadmap of life that is embodied in all of these stories. And every culture has this same markers in their stories that in these older cultures where rites of initiation, they would tell these stories usually around adolescence. And the the symbology of the stories of what it is to step out on the journey starts to prepare the adolescent for when they step into adulthood and it prepares them for that uncomfortable period of the journey of the transformation and the forging you into what you're meant to do, that life's purpose. And so the hero's journey is our journey to claim our life's purpose and to then bring that purpose back and share it with the world and be in the world with it. And then in the later stages of life, the elders share their stories, share their knowledge, and give that back to the community and impart it back on to the youth. And so... The Hero's Journey Life Coaching, I've adopted the Hero's Journey because the coaching that I'm doing is very specific, starting out with each of those steps 
of what it means to claim your life purpose, to walk that path of transformation, to be there helping with the skills to be able to walk through those processes of transformation, which is going to be different for everybody. But there's fundamental skills that are embedded within all of the ancient mythological stories. And so that's why it is the hero's journey. You become the hero of your own story instead of letting the trials of your life define you you deliberately, intentionally use those trials, convert those trials into transformation that forges you and brings you back to your life's purpose. That's why it's so empowering. That's why you're reclaiming your power and getting your power back. Because we've all lost that power and more so for the really horrific abuse that goes on in the world, we are left powerless. And the ability to reclaim your power, to reclaim that center of yourself is so important. I really believe that this hero's journey life coaching and this roadmap in the stories is so important for everyone, but especially for survivors of abuse because this is one thing that really, really, truly fully restoring of your inner self, fully heal that inner soul. The body keeps the score. Trauma embeds itself in the body. It embeds itself in the soul. And all of us who have truly, truly struggled to undo patterns, to break the cycles, we know how hard it is to break those cycles because we have to wrestle with ourselves in order to break the cycle and not perpetrate it onto those around us, whether it's our children, our neighbor next door, or the poor person behind the cash register in our daily lives. We need that restoration so that trauma that gets embedded in our bodies isn't constantly spilling out sideways in all these different little places. We're all little balls of trauma colliding against each other, creating more balls of trauma. And it's very hard to end the cycle if as a society we can't circle up and break these cycles. And I really believe that returning back to the mythological roots and the spiritual roots. Now, the stories in the Bible carry the exact same hero's journey motif. The story of Moses growing up in Egyptian culture, being thrown out of Egyptian culture because he stands up for something that he can't tolerate, journeys across the desert, uh, he's out there being transformed. He's lost in the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd. He climbs onto the mountain with the burning bush. He, he's transformed. He's prepared. He's given skills. He travels back, and he frees his people. That's the hero's journey right mm-hmm. there. 
you know, this is all of these stories. We need to be going truly back to what they were meant to be and following that roadmap that's laid out there for ourselves and supporting each other in that. When a child comes to you and says, I want to be a movie star, instead of saying, well, you can't do that. You'd have to win the lottery. It's too hard to break into the industry. You know, go get a job, punch a clock, go to school. Instead of doing that, we need to circle up around that child, be like, okay, this is what you're truly called to do. Then how do we do it? Where do we start stepping out to do that? Of course it's going to be challenging. That's those first steps on the hero's journey is so transformative and it's uncomfortable and it is a challenge and it is a fight, but you have to intentionally walk it. And when you do it with intentionality, you claim it and it's yours and God will come behind you and you will succeed Amen. because it was what you were born to do. Mm-hmm. You're so right. You're so right. I was just going to, well, I was going to say that, um, do you find that it, mm-hmm. it's harder for people to get to that point with the work that you're doing specifically? Um, seeing people transform, is it harder to get to that point without any kind of faith? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be Christian faith, but any kind of faith. Does that seem to be? If you do not, yeah, if you do not have any kind of soulful, spiritual inclination, at all, if that is completely empty and completely devoid, it will be more challenging. Mm-hmm. But what I would, the one thing that I would say to that, and the one statement that I would, I hold this very true, that even somebody who completely swears off anything spiritual whatsoever, the word Spiritual is just hocus-pocus, smoke and mirrors, blah, blah, blah. Somebody like that, that intentionally steps out on the hero's journey, if they walk it with intentionality, and especially if someone is there to help guide and coach them along the way, because they've opened themselves up to it simply by intentionally taking the first step. By the end of the hero's journey, they will no longer be able to deny it because it's a part of the process. It'll come alongside of them. They will see it. They will feel it. And they will be transformed because we were all born to a purpose, whether we believe we were born to a purpose or not. I have a visualization I do when I first start out with somebody that centers around going back into childhood memories and finding the golden ball back in the memories, and we center on that and we work with that until we can start to hear that first call to our purpose. 
And once you tap into and connect with that first call to your purpose, it's always been calling to you. And the sudden recognition of, oh, wow, all this time, it's been there. I just didn't see it. It's been there. I just didn't hear it. Now I hear it. That opens up the heart for the spirit to come in right then and there. And you'll feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people struggle because they don't know their purpose. They feel like they're, uh, they're a mistake. They don't have a purpose. But everybody has a purpose. You just have to take the time to figure out what your purpose is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, and I asked that question because I think um, it is hard to tap in, like you're saying, or sorry, it's hard to tap in and really do the hard work that you need to do if you don't have any kind of connection, spiritual connection, and that like it's something bigger to strive for. I think it's hard especially as um, survivors, you know, to if you don't have, like you're saying, if you don't have that purpose and if you don't have that drive to do something, then, um, and, and a spiritual side as well, then it, it does make it difficult. It makes it a lot harder. Because I've seen it in my own family, my uncles, you know, that have really struggled and just, you know, don't want to ever think about God or even stepping, you know, he couldn't even step foot in the churches when we'd have things at my church and things because he's like, I, I can't do that there. You know, they're going to shoot me dead if I, you know, or lightning bolts will come down or something, he says. But, um, <laughs> and I just see him continue to struggle. I mean, it, it, there's just not that peace. He's been able to, you know, get back up on his feet every time he gets down, but it, there's just never that peace there. And, um, and I wish that I, I wish I could give that to him, but of course you can't do that. You can't give it to other people. They have to figure it out for themselves. And one of the things that um, I just I love about my journey is that I um, I was able to tap into that. It took me probably in my thirties is when I first heard God talking to me and saying, "You're going to do something around child sexual abuse prevention." I was like. Really? Because I don't think that God, yeah. it's like you start arguing something. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> and then it took like 25 years before I actually got to that point. And, and when um, this curriculum came up, I was like, I knew it right away. I knew that that was where mm. I was supposed to be. Because I don't, I don't have, you know, a doctrine like Dr. Nancy or um, I didn't even go to college because I had my daughter when I was 18. And, and my main goal and my focus was to be there for my kids because I didn't have that for myself. And so, um, so yeah, just coming to that purpose. And, I, and I'm happy to see that there are a lot of younger people who are recognizing that and want to recognize it even younger. You know, they don't want to stuff it down. And I find that even with my classes, I see a lot of young parents coming in because they want to be proactive. They don't want to wait until something happens. They want to get on top of it and be proactive. So, um, what, so Arthur, what is, tell us a little bit more about how um, 
your hero's journey? How, how do you go through that? <laughs> is it yeah. a week long? I mean, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that and then how we can get a hold of you as well. Yes. So um, there, uh, the way that uh, I approach it is very much from an individual basis. Um, part of my personal mission statement is in life is renewing a loving spiritual culture through storytelling, writing, nature, and honoring each individual's hero's journey, including my own. And each individual is going to be at different points in their life, struggling with how to walk their hero's journey. We all hear the call, but we may not recognize what we're hearing. We might be deaf to it. We might be turned off to it. And so I do one-on-one coaching sessions uh, that vary in length according to what the needs of the individual may be. Uh, Starting point of 45 minutes usually might be a little less, might be a little bit more. And we walk through the steps, and it might take, multiple sessions just to really tap into finding that golden ball and really hearing that call. And then once we've heard it, human nature is to run from it, to be afraid, because the next step is a transformative step that's going to have some uncomfortability to it. And so it could take multiple sessions to really work through that. I am there on a one-on-one basis as often and as much as is needed. Um, Much like an individual counselor you might see, you might see them once a week, you might see them twice a week, you might see them once a month, really depending upon how intensely you're wanting to work on it. And so it really is a very individualized experience as far as how long it might take and how many sessions you might need to get there. Uh, starting out, I do a first consultation free of charge. And actually, right now, uh, because we're in the, the solstice season, actually on the night of the winter solstice here, and with the solstice time, the longest night of the year, we're surrounded by darkness. It's a time to go inward and wrestle with our inner darkness. And stepping out on the hero's journey, I believe, is one of the number one best ways to wrestle with those inner traumas and that inner darkness we've been carrying with us. So anybody that contacts me after the show within, you know, between now and the end of the year, the first two sessions, each one would be at half price. And then I also do do a sliding scale fee based on, income scales because I want this to be accessible to everyone and so pricing is customizable on that base and we walk the steps you have to hear the call you have to answer the call once you answer it and you step out on the journey it gets messy your life might already be in complete ruin this is called catabasis. Some great cataclysm has hit your life. You're recently divorced. 
you might be taking your first steps on recovery from alcoholism. Your, your life might be in ruins. Things might just be falling apart a little bit because that hero's journey is pulling you in that direction and you've been ignoring it and life isn't quite working right. And there's a period of time spent in ashes work, which could be as akin to a story spending seven years in service to somebody in the story realm. You know, there, there might be some things you need to do in life to be able to transition out of what you're doing now to be able to step out into what you were born to do. And, you know, there might just be some, some lostness. You might be just ready to step out on the hero's journey, but you just need to figure out how to do that. And in stories, in the story realm, the metaphor for that is just being lost in the forest, but the forest is already guiding you where you need to go. It's already transforming you. And so we isolate where you're at in that messiness, and we start to work on that transformation. And then from that transformation, once you're really out there and on your way, then we look for the mentorship and whether or not the coaching sessions itself might serve for that mentorship. Uh, we'll spend some time in nature. Uh, people who feel really connected and strongly connected to nature can find mentorship energy right there in nature, potentially even in their own backyard at a bird feeder. And when you're tapped into that mentor energy, you really no longer feel alone on your journey. You've, you've got a guide that's helping you get there. And then really from there, it's maintenance. Uh, it's going to really depend on the individual of what kind of help they may or may not want or need along the way. As once you're cruising on your hero's journey with your mentor at your side, you're in a really good place of empowerment. You're really starting to heal. You're really starting to feel good about life because you're actually starting to truly be able to do what you were meant to do. And the journey will take you from there. You'll know what to do. And so that is the, the process. And that's great. People need to know that they're not alone. I think especially with the rise of suicide and, you know, awareness of mental illness, mental the importance of mental health and taking it just as seriously as you take your physical health. Um, people are starting to come out. They're starting to speak up. They're, we're really doing our best by sharing our testimonies to take the stigma off of mental illness. When people are dealing with depression, and, you know, loneliness, sadness, all of that, it affects your, your mental health. And so it's important that the fact that you're saying that you make sure that you walk through the journey as, you know, uh, and do your peer support with your um, with your coaching program. That's very important. And so we have um, about two minutes. Yeah. 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 Two minutes, if you can tell us how to get a hold of you. Yes, please. Uh, Yeah. So direct email, Sage Mountain Ministries at gmail.com is my direct email. Uh, that'll be the fastest, most direct way. But I also uh, am currently officing out of the Washington Healing Arts Center in Missouri. It's in Washington, Missouri. 
Uh, if you just go out on the web, type in the Washington Healing Arts Center, it'll bring up the website for the center, and you can find me under coaching and counseling. I know I emailed uh, Bill that link, and he said he'd be able to post it for everybody, and that will also take you to my, my contact information. Uh, searching up Sage Mountain Ministries on YouTube will bring you to my storytelling channel where I do storytelling, and you should be able to find a link to the email there as well. Also, Sage Mountain Ministries has a Facebook page. I do a lot of posting on Facebook, uh, little tidbits of encouragement about the hero's journey on the Sage Mountain Ministries. Uh, so that would be a great page uh, to uh, you know like and follow and get on there just to be tapped in uh, if it's something that you're just kind of wanting to watch and get more familiar with uh, before jumping in. Uh, that would be a great place uh, to just kind of plug in. Um, so yeah, those would be uh, the best avenues uh, to uh, to reach out. And uh, I, I'm really, really passionate about helping people and connecting with people and really helping them heal through the power of story and empowering them to step out and become the hero of their own story. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Officer. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you so much for sharing your testimony and for giving us all those resources and information. Again, uh, it was a pleasure having you tonight. Thank you for joining us. This is scan number 3078. For anyone that would like to uh, tune in, if you missed the show, you can always go back to scan number 3078. And thank you all for listening. You guys have a good night. Good night. Good night. I know tomorrow, cause that dawn will come. You are forgotten, after all that you've done. I know With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.